Welcome to a very special Project I'm Speaking episode of Bull Spirals. Project I'm Speaking episodes are a series of interviews conducted with the intention of featuring brave and talented women who agreed to speak up about their creative process, about how they found their unique voices, and how they intend to use those gorgeous voices in the world now. Because we need this. All of us need this right now more than ever. So enjoy this time and this unique voice while you take in this episode of Project I'm Speaking. winning singer-songwriter from Madison, Wisconsin, who's been performing her original Americana rock music and released 14 albums since her career began in the year 2000. In addition to performing with the Beth Kelly Band, she's also a member of the trio Gin Chocolate and Bottle Rockets and the band Kerosene Kites. When not performing, Beth serves as the music director and a songwriting instructor for Girls and Ladies Rock Camp of Madison, and she's also the co-founder and producer of Flannel Fest. And, you know, on the side, a producer and engineer in her home studio, Studio Gusto, and she's also a wife and a mom. I first met Beth at Ladies Rock Camp last April, and I knew immediately that I wanted to get to know her better because... There's just something about Beth, which you'll hear as you listen to our wide-reaching conversation that covers topics from finding your people to the power of finding and using your true voice. I know you'll enjoy your time with Beth Kelly. So first of all, I want to thank you for doing this. My pleasure. And I want to thank you for sending your story. Yeah. Because it was so rich. And I feel like I really got a chance to know you. Well, thank you. And there were just so like I took so many notes and I have so many different things that I want to focus on. Yeah. Um, I guess the first place that I kind of wanted to start was when you were little. And if you could tell me a little bit more about how accessible music was to you and your introduction to it, especially through your mom. Yes, yes. My mother was an amazing singer. Well, she's still alive. She doesn't sing much anymore, but um, she was always playing music. The radio, we had a vinyl record. Uh, I mean, I can still see the album covers of the Cindy Lauper and Michael Jackson and the Pointer Sisters and the Bee Gees and Dan Fogelberg. So, and she would sing along to all these. Oh, she was a huge Barbara Streisand fan too. Mm. Um, and so I just always heard her beautiful voice and it just seemed like to sing was like breathing. <laughs> um, and she was also an actress. So she uh, would be the star in these plays in the community theater in the little town of Marinette where I grew up. And I would get to go and watch her perform in these plays. And um, she just was a star. (laughs) And I don't think she realizes how profoundly that influenced me. And I don't think I realized it until recently. 
But her presence as my mother and as this person on stage being the same person, I think just gave me this awareness that the people who are on stage are just normal people. Mm. Uh, and, you know, her friends from the theater would come over and she was also a poet and uh, she would write stories and, and things like that. So I would get to see the things that she wrote, the things that were published. So all of the creative things that she did were very accessible to me. And she also encouraged me to be creative and obviously nature and nurture. I mean, mm -hmm. I, I watched it <laughs> unfold and was encouraged as well. Mm -hmm. And my dad also uh, was a musician, but he uh, didn't continue playing and performing like my mom did uh, when I was a kid. But, he, you know, when I would go visit my grandparents, uh, his parents, um, there was an accordion uh, upstairs and we'd go up to this little room that the, I remember the ceiling was slanted <laughs> and we'd sit in these chairs and my dad and grandpa would play polkas on the accordion and I would just sit and watch and think how cool is that that mm. you just make music with your family and we had a piano in my house uh, growing up and I remember sitting next to my dad on the piano bench and he would you know he was an accordion player so he's used to playing with one hand kind of doing one thing and the other hand doing a different thing and and so I would be the left hand and play certain rhythms that he would teach me but we weren't reading music we were just using our ears and our our sense of rhythm and kind of connecting through the music so I just am forever grateful to my parents for the environment that they created that just allowed me to embrace music and creativity and feel free in in that regard so you got into band kind of with this I don't want to use the word head start, oh, but, but it it's really almost was. like... Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I felt like when I picked up the clarinet as a sixth grader, um, I already spoke the language, even though my hands didn't know what to do yet. Um, it was kind of like, I mean, I don't speak many foreign languages. <laughs> I don't speak any foreign languages fluently, but, you know, I studied Spanish in high school and then I took French in college and knowing how to learn Spanish made me better at learning French and their similarities. And so just having a musical background made it so much easier for me to jump into this new instrument of the clarinet. Um, and so it kind of, I took off with it and I really loved it. And I think it made me feel special. Like I had some sort of thing that was made me a little bit different <laughs> and in, in a good way. And you mentioned in your, in the article that you wrote that you really took to practicing mm -hmm. because it felt like it brought you into flow. Yes, yes. And I didn't know what flow was back mm -hmm. in those days, but I do know that when I played music, that that was the only thing I was doing in my brain. Um, and I just, I remember feeling swept away by musical experiences, both as a observer, like when my mom was on stage and the the voices would harmonize and the music would swell and like you just could feel the hair stand up on the back of your neck. Um, but also as a performer, like when I would play with the band and everything was, this sound was just filling you up. Um, it was always very magical. Mm -hmm. And there's a, there's an expression that I was introduced to by my sister actually. And it's a theme that kept going through my heart and my soul as I was reading your story. And it's connection is prevention. Ah. And um it's a phrase from the from the suicide prevention ah, yes. community, but yes. connection is prevention and it's yes. basically um once you find 
your community, uh-huh. you're halfway there yes. to not only preventing suicide, but preventing isolation. Like isolation is the killer. It is. Of your soul. Yes. Basically. Yeah. And, and you had all of these little places where you found your community. Yes. Starting with band camp. Yes. Can you tell me about band camp? Yes. Yes. So when I was uh, going into seventh grade, there was an opportunity to go to UW Green Bay and attend band camp. And, you know, being the music nerd that I was, I totally jumped on that. And the people that I met at this camp, I was just like, these are my people. You know, they were music nerds. I mean, if you go to a camp for a week just to play your instrument, you have to be into that instrument. Uh, I mean, unless your parents signed you up just to get you out of the house. But uh, I don't know that I remember meeting many of those kids. I mean, m- most of them were just as into the music as I was. And and it was just a, a feeling like, oh, these are my people. This is where I belong. These people get it. Um, it was just this whole mass of humanity that was all there for the same cool thing in my mind. And it felt very much like I was coming home. Mm, yeah. yeah. But I love that connection is prevention. Mm-hmm. I've never heard that before, but it's so true. And yeah. honestly, yeah, it's the things I think that I that keeps me going with Girls Rock Camp. Yeah. I see it all the time. Yeah. There's nothing like that feeling of knowing you're not alone. Yeah. And, and that recognition of Oh my God. Like, like you said, home, like, Oh my God, you see me being yes. seen, yes. being believed yes, and just connecting heart to heart. Yep. Like, and, and, and I saw it throughout your entire story. The, yeah. uh, the next thing, Madison, when you yes. went to UW Madison. <laughs> so was the, was the marching band what brought you there? Was it the psychology program that brought yeah. you there or both? So that's interesting. I um, was part of the state honors orchestra um, and band when I was in high school. So I was in Madison for the performance. And I remember walking down State Street with a group of people and seeing the UW marching band march through Library Mall. Uh, It was homecoming weekend, just coincidentally, the weekend that I was there in high school with this state honors band thing um but i saw these musicians like marching around having Mm. a blast and people were dancing around them and it was you know this magical homecoming week kind of feeling and i just remember thinking oh i need to get into that (laughs) (laughs) those those people those are my people Mm -hmm. they're crazy they're loving music they're making people dance and have fun and um it was they just look so uninhibited too and I think that was a thing that always uh, felt a little restrictive to me when I was growing up. Is when I was a kid that when I played clarinet, I could not sit still. I was literally dancing in my seat. <laughs> and I would look around and look at the other musicians in the band and be like, how are you physically capable of sitting still while playing music? I cannot do it. And um, But it made me feel kind of like a freak. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that people were looking at me and and thinking that I was just weird. And, you know, when you're growing up, that's not a great feeling. Uh, So seeing these people dancing and having a blast with their instruments was just something that was so attractive to me. Um, So I don't know if it was anything other than the marching band that drew me here. Um, I mean, I knew they had a psychology program because that's what I wanted to study, but I knew I really wanted to be in the band too. I I just find it so interesting. Um, 
if that marching band hadn't been coming right. when they did, if you hadn't seen them when you did, you wouldn't have wanted to be in the marching band. Yes. If you hadn't been in the marching band, you wouldn't have met your husband. If right. you hadn't met your husband, just that totally. kind of thing. Yeah. So um, just watching the way your life is playing out, I just uh, find it so interesting. Yes, but, yes. Um, the next thing is um, you get into the PT program mm -hmm. because – you had somebody suggest it to you. Yes. And you have a moment of um, meltdown. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So I uh, started grad school in 97, or as my 11-year-old son likes to refer to it, the 1900s. <laughs> so, um, but that was like the first time in my life I didn't do music on a regular basis. So when you're in PT school, it's just intense. I mean, it's all studying and studying and studying. And then when you get bored with studying, you go to the library and you study some more. Mm. And then you go to class and then you come home and you study. And so I, it didn't really dawn on me because I was so busy and preoccupied just trying to do all the work um, that I had lost this piece of music. Um and my one of my classmates uh, was a member of a, a church in Madison, and she's like, "Oh, do you want to come with me to this uh, Christmas concert?" And I was like, "Oh, I love Christmas music, so sure, why not?" Just seemed like something to do to get out of the the grind. And I was really expecting it just to be like a bunch of like little kids just singing goofy songs and um, you know dressed up as angels and. <laughs> <laughs> but it was not. It was this church that had this incredible music program, and these people were singing the most beautiful songs. And it sort of, you know, I reminded me of like when I was a kid and I would go to the theater and see my mom in these plays. And I just sat in the back of that church and wept. <laughs> and I remember having a meeting with my PT advisor shortly thereafter and just being like, I'm losing my mind. I don't know what's going on, but I have to do something with music. Otherwise, I'm I'm just going to melt down. And she's like, oh, well, I've been teaching myself to play guitar. Have you ever thought about that? And so I got this crappy little beat up guitar and bought guitar playing for dummies. <laughs> it was before YouTube, right? Yeah. So you had to learn from a book. I didn't have time to or money to take lessons. So I um. But I, you know, being musical, thought I could teach myself, mm -hmm. and so I just started thinking around on it a little bit here and there. You know, I, as a clarinet player, you can't sing and play at the same time because your instrument's in your mouth. Right. <laughs> but as a guitar player, I was like, oh, what if I sang along to some of these songs from the radio while I strum these chords, and and uh, it just kind of took off. <laughs> yeah. And I, yeah, I see that as such a turning point too. Yeah. Like, yeah. If she hadn't crossed your path. Yes. And then you had another a client, yes. um, Andy, yes. who invited you to... Right. You know, it's funny. I Some people are like, oh, do you regret not, you know, starting off in music earlier in your life as a, you know, singer-songwriter? And I'm like, no. <laughs> you know, all these things led to other things. And uh, it, it's just the way that life unfolds, I guess. But yeah, so when I was started working as a PT... Um, now, this was in the, the 2000s. <laughs> um, my, uh, one of my clients came in and had hurt his shoulder. And he's like, oh, yeah, I was lifting my guitar amp and something <laughs> snapped. And I was like, oh, that's cool. You play guitar. I've been teaching myself to play guitar. And uh, 
he invited me to come to this songwriting group that he was hanging out with. And I was like, well, no, that, you know, patient client thing. I mm-hmm. shouldn't interact with you outside of cl- the, the uh, clinic. Um, and also I only play by myself in my room with the door closed. <laughs> so thanks, but no thanks. Uh, so I, I treated him. He got better. Um, and a few months later, he's like, hey, Beth, he calls me up. He's like, you know, we're, we're getting together. I just thought maybe you'd want to join us. And, you know, he was just the, the kindest dude. And uh, so I was like, I've got nothing to lose. Why not? So I went in and it was a bunch of uh, folks that were probably all about 10 to 15 years older than me. Um, so I felt like they just kind of were like, oh, hey, you know, you're like our little sister. We'll we'll mentor you. We'll take you under our wing and teach you things. And they were so kind and so welcoming. and encouraging and again just one of those other things where I I got into the right community of people that supported me and taught me and made me feel like I had something and I just kept going yeah and then you ended up moving to Texas yes yes and found a community there um Connie Mims yeah tell me about Connie Mims Connie ah so in 2008 my husband had the opportunity to do a year of job training in Houston, Texas. And so we uprooted um, and we'd been in a band called Clear Blue Betty for six years at that point. So the band dissolved and that was heartbreaking, but it was kind of a necessary step, I think, um, in sort of the evolution of my music career. So um, so we moved to Texas and uh, Texas is a crazy, awesome place to be as a musician. There's just tons of opportunities, to play and to network with other musicians. Um, And I joined the um, Nashville Songwriters Association International, or NSAI. Uh, There's chapters all over the United States. Um, But I joined the Houston chapter, and it was coordinated by a woman by the name of Connie Mims, who is an incredible singer-songwriter, guitar player, human being. And um, Connie was just so welcoming to me. We wrote songs together she put me up on stages and places that I would never have been able to get into otherwise because they knew her and she was, you know, like the rock and fairy godmother of the Houston music scene. And uh, just um, so much, so appreciate the opportunities that she gave me. But one of the things that she did that was really uh, critical in the way things evolved for me uh, in my music career is that she asked me to teach at this Grammy career day that they put on for the local high schools. And it was a songwriting class. Uh, someone had canceled at the last second, one of her instructors, she's like, Beth, you'd be great at this. I was like, really? Uh, okay. So, <laughs> never being one to say no to opportunities like that, I jumped in and she partnered me with this amazing uh, Latin music guru in the Houston area. His name's Walter Sir. And uh, the two of us co-taught this group of high school kids that didn't know anything about songwriting. We gave them these little random objects and said, okay, you know, write yourself a little song with your group of three or four here and then perform it for each other. And they did the most incredible things. I mean, I can still see there was this uh, string that had like little hearts on it. That was one of the writing uh, prompts that, that Connie had given us to give to these kids. And these three kids wrote this song about having their heart on a string. And I was like, that's genius. And I just remember being so excited to see these young people with their unfiltered minds, just spitting out songs to people after a class that was less than an hour long. 
they're like, we could totally do this. And I was like, yes, you totally can do this. And I want to help people do this now. So it was just a very um, inspiring experience. And I'm forever grateful to Connie for calling me up on a whim and asking me to fill in for that because I'd never really thought about teaching songwriting at that point, but it was something that I really uh, loved and thought I could do that. So cool. Yeah. And what if that person hadn't canceled? I know. Isn't it crazy? All of these little like, you know, encounters that you have with people, but I do believe too in the power of yes. You know, when people call you and you have like this moment of like, I shouldn't do that. Like when Andy was like, Hey Beth, you should join this songwriting group. Like I could have been like, Oh no, 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 no. But I was like, no, I, I, something's telling me to try it. And I'm going to listen to that little voice in my head. That's telling me you should try it. And when, you know, Connie called me up, like my first instinct was like, Eek, I can't do this. I don't know how to teach songwriting, but it was like, what the heck I can try. And I said, yes. And, and so I really, I feel like there, those little, there's two little competing voices in your head. A lot of times, like the one that's like, do it. And the one that's like, you're not good enough. And you have to learn to turn the, you're not good enough, dial down and turn up the do it. As long as it's not something criminal, right? (laughs) (laughs) I love that, Beth. Yes. And that's, that's so funny that you should say that because another thing that I wanted to talk about is just that. It's the imposter syndrome and how do you deal with that? Because that resistance is something that as a creative never goes away. No, It never goes away. And there's only two options. One is to let it talk you out of it Mm -hmm. or to say, thanks for sharing. We're going to do this anyway. Yes. Yes. And I love the way you put that when you said, I believe in the power of yes. Mm -hmm. Like what's the worst that can happen? Right. Well, you know, it's interesting that whole what's the worst that can happen question. I think having worked in healthcare and seeing what happens when you screw up in healthcare as the provider, bad things, right? Mm. People get hurt. People are in pain. People could die. What happens when you screw up on stage as a musician? Maybe somebody makes a weird face in the audience. (laughs) Most of the time, they don't even notice it happened. And I believe most audiences are friendly. So it's like the stakes in music for me, I am able to put them in perspective. But I still, that imposter syndrome is still present all the time. And you do just need to learn to say, yep, thank you for trying to protect me. But I'm going to be fine. And I'm going to keep moving. And that's a, a Brene Brown writes about this. You know, like you invite those demons on the bus. You don't let them choose the radio station. You don't let them drive. (laughs) You put them in the backseat and say, yep, I know you're here. You're trying to protect me from getting hurt, but I'm strong enough. I can take this. Love it. Yeah. Love that. Yeah. That's great. But yeah, I wrote a song um, and I haven't brought it out in public or to the to my band yet but it's it's called I am the imposter <gasps> and the chorus of the song is I am the imposter and I live to see your face when I know that I have fooled you <laughs> Girl. you know so like you like I still feel that sometimes when I'm like standing on stage singing and people are getting into it I'm like oh you are fooled <laughs> you are fooled by my enthusiasm and my stage presence, but I don't really know how to play guitar and I don't really know how to sing. I think I'm a pretty good songwriter. And so maybe you're swept away by that. But like, you know, these things that like these little voices in the back of my head that still crop up that I'm again, just like, you know what? It's okay. I'm doing my thing. There are people that like it. 
and I'm just going to keep going and I just have to, you know, tell those voices to go away sometimes or just, just sit in the back seat. <laughs> I can't wait to hear that song. Yes. I, I need to, it's, I, uh, I have like a archives of all these unperformed songs that I, I need to, uh, get back into the, the light someday. <laughs> yeah. I can't wait to hear it. But, uh, the instrumental album that I just did called Ponder, um, was kind of a fun exercise. I, um, I have a recording studio here. We're sitting here right now uh, in my basement in my house. And I've always been really into recording like voices and acoustic guitars and keyboards. But there's uh, this electronic world of music that you can record called MIDI. And it's sort of a data-driven, like you plug your keyboard into the special input on your audio interface and it talks to your computer in crazy ways. Like you can make your keyboard sound like chiming bells. You can make it sound like a bass guitar. You can build all these things um, just by telling the computer to make it sound different. Um, and so I was trying to teach myself that skill. And so I just started messing around with all these things. And I realized as I was doing some of these like repetitive loops and weird instrumental sounds experimenting in my uh, workstation here that it was very calming and kind of therapeutic and so I was like oh this is fun so I just started doing all these instrumentals because I, I what happens to my brain is because I'm such a lyricist and I love words um like the instant I try to learn a skill on uh something that's not uh involving words <laughs> I start trying to write words to it and it distracts me from the the skill I'm trying to learn so I was like nope stop thinking words just think instrumental and so I I for the first time in my life was able to switch that off and these songs really I don't hear words in them which is remarkable because that's I've never been able to do that before um but I, yeah I just built all these weird instrumentals and I would listen to them and it would just make me feel calm and I was like hey why don't I share this with the world <laughs> cool. so then I put out a record and it's you know it's easy these days with all the tools you have at your disposal and all these websites that help you spread your music around for nominal fees so cool so yeah and uh I took a, a picture of uh a crack in the ice on the pond in our backyard when it was frozen in the winter. And uh, it looks like a neuron. It looks like a, a little brain uh, you know, cell. So, uh, and that's kind of, again, like that neuroplasticity thing. When you listen to music, it can change the way your brain works. And so I was like, oh, ponder. This is a picture of my pond. Oh! I want people to think and to, you know, have their brains transformed when they listen to this music. So... It's a neuron. It looks like a neuron, even though it's a crack in the ice. <laughs> so it all kind of came together. I didn't get the pond ponder thing. Right? Yeah, that's really cool. Yeah, so it's fun. It was just a fun project, and uh, I'm actually working on another uh, instrumental record. Just again, teaching myself. Uh, I'm I again the the guitar thing. Um, I'm mostly like a acoustic guitar chord based player. I don't really do any soloing or lead guitar things, but I've been trying to teach myself how to do more soloing. And so um, when songs are at 70 beats per minute, that's a real convenient slow pace to practice your guitar solo skills too. Got it. <laughs> so and again, making all these weird sounds in my, my workstation down here, um, you know, I make my guitar sound really echoey or like a strange underwater instrument. And uh, it's just been fun just playing around. Mm. Nice. Yeah. 
So going back to kind of your journey, you're in Houston and you, um, you're writing music. You have kind of a, a turning point once you get back mm-hmm. where um, you decide you're not going to be a songwriter anymore. Not that you're not going to be a songwriter right. anymore, but you're not going to chase this whole, I want to be a famous bazillionaire anymore. Yes. Because yeah. in 2010, you have this pilot program called Girls Rock Camp. Yeah. Yes, yes. So I had been, when I was living in Houston and and even a little bit before that, been making frequent trips to Nashville to try to push uh, or pitch is what the industry calls it, pitching songs that you write that you hope that some publisher will pick up and put into Carrie Underwood's hands so that she sees it and thinks, oh, this is the most brilliant song ever. And I'm going to put it on my record and I'm going to make this songwriter millions of dollars. And in my head, I had somehow painted this picture that, well, you know, you're not a great singer. You're not a great guitar player. You better find somebody else to sing these songs because I think the songs are decent and they can make you rich and famous because then the reason you quit your day job is totally legit. (laughs) And, uh, you know, there's that little imposter syndrome thing in the back of my brain telling me, you know, you did this really crazy thing, Beth. You quit a lucrative, well-respected day job and pursued a career in music and you're making less money and you're not doing this wonderful thing for the world that you were doing when you were helping people get back on their feet in physical therapy. Um, but when I came back to Madison in 2010, after we left Texas, I was approached by the parent of uh, a young musician who said, hey, I've been trying to get my kid into this thing called Girls Rock Camp in Chicago for years. And I can never get her in because it's always full. She always ends up on the wait list. You need to start something here in Madison. I was like, sure, (laughs) why not? (laughs) And uh, so, you know, we started looking into things. And it turned out there was actually a woman in Viroqua who was trying to get something started up. And so we uh, had contacted the Girls Rock Camp Alliance, which is sort of this, you know, mothership of an organization that connects Girls Rock Camps all over the the country um, and now all over the world. Um, But they're like, oh, you should connect with this other person. And so we just figured it out. And in 2010, we had 32 girls at one camp in the summer and it was magical. And I mean, I have this joke that... um, dates back to when I was the drum major in the marching band. It's, um, follow me. I have no idea where I'm going. (laughs) And that's kind of what it felt like when we started up this girls rock camp, because it was like I was hiring all these women to teach at this camp doing something I'd never done before, but it seemed like the right thing to do. And it was a great idea. And surrounding yourself with other musical people again, like, you know, Back in my high school days and middle school days when I was with the band geeks, it was like, yes, these are my people. I want to be around them. And even if we don't know know what we're doing or if we screw things up, how bad could it be? We're going to be together and we're going to be making music. So everything's going to be fine. And here we are 13 years later, um, three camps every summer, two ladies rock camps every year. um, And we've had thousands of people come through the program and – it's still as magical as it ever was for me. And it's nice to be connected to these kids too because they remind me of the privilege of some of the things that I do on a regular basis that have kind of lost their luster. Like when the kids get a poster with their face on it, they're like, oh my God, we're on a poster. Or when they get into the recording studio and they put the headphones on and they're like in their isolation booths and they can see each other, but they're, I can hear you. Can you hear me? And they're just freaked out by this experience of the recording studio and, and they get up on stage and they're like, 
whoa. <laughs> like these are things that I do all the time that I take for granted how special and cool they are. And so to be reminded every summer uh, by these eight to 18 year olds that come to camp, it's really, uh, it's a great thing for me. Uh, just to, just to remember like that I really am lucky. Can you tell me a little bit about what camp is? Well, so Girls Rock Camp Madison is a week-long day camp for girls ages 8 to 18, and they do not have to have any musical experience when they show up on day one. We provide an instrument, either drums, bass, guitar, keys, um, and voice is an instrument in our world. Um, we teach them how to use their instrument, uh, we put them in bands with their peers. They compose a song under the instruction of folks like myself who are in the music world and know how to work with a band and write a song in that setting. And then on day six, uh, Saturday after camp, they put on a big showcase with a song they just wrote with the people they may have just met on the instrument they may have just learned. And they rock out in front of hundreds of screaming people on a stage with a professional sound engineer, you know, the big lights and speakers and everything. And it's it's the coolest thing. And they also record? Yes. So at Girls Rock Camp, we take them into a professional recording studio on the Friday of camp and they record the song that they just wrote. Uh, and it's it's cool. So they get a, a MP3 of the song that they wrote and all the other band's songs and uh, they get to play it back. And it's really, it's again, just magical. And, and actually one of our uh, staffers on camp is Cooper Talbot, who has a radio program uh, oh, you met Cooper. She came upstairs during your class. I did. And uh, Cooper's show is called Her Infinite Variety on WORT in Madison. And Cooper plays their songs on the radio the Sunday after camp. And so not only do they get to stand on this big stage and go to the professional recording studio and see themselves on posters, but they hear themselves on the radio after camp. And it's just, again, they it's all such magic it really is. And it's so cool to see uh, how much you can do with just a little bit of information in the music world and how we preach really our mission of empowerment and collaboration to these kids. And they embrace it. They have each other's backs. They get up on stage. They high five each other. They fist bump. They cheer each other on from the crowd when they're not on stage. And, um, you know, that's the world I want to build where these kids realize you, you need to be there for each other. You need to trust your voice. You need to try things and be brave and find your community. And we have such a crazy, awesome, amazing team of people that make this camp happen. Again, my people, my community, I love the people that I work with and the magic we get to create. Mm -hmm. What What is most surprising? What surprises you the most about it? Oh, uh I feel like it's been long enough now that it's not quite as surprising, but I still love to see the way the kids support each other mm. and how they talk to each other. And there are tense times over the week when you're learning something new. It can be frustrating when you're trying to co-create with people that have different ideas. That's a challenging experience. But I just see so much kindness and support that the kids give each other. And that always just blows my mind and fills my heart. And again, it's like I we had a debriefing meeting with the staff last camp 
And at the end of the day, we all sat down together. And I'm like, you know what? We are changing the world one kid at a time when they show up here and we teach them that they can love and support each other and that they can build these spaces where they're safe, where their ideas are valued, where they can build each other up. And it's that message that we give the kids when they embrace that and they embody it and they show us how it's done. It's, I, I don't know, maybe surprising is not the right word, but it's uh, inspiring. Yeah. And actually, girls get such a bad rap. Yes. Like, like girls, they're cutthroat. They, right. They're, and that's, it's it's the essence of connection is prevention. Yes. Like, like yes. teaching them to create that space, like you're you're doing beautiful work. Thank you. Yeah. Yes. And that, I mean, that's really explicitly, if you go to our, um, you know, in addition to our mission statements and our vision, we have goals and it's that whole learning that you can create these spaces. You can find these spaces where you're safe, where you're valued, where you can build each other up. And again, there doesn't mean there's not challenges, you know, having issues is not the issue. It's how you work through them together. Mm-hmm. And then you have ladies rock camp. Yes. Ladies Rock Camp are sitting across from me. Yeah, Stacey. which I actually got to go to. Uh, okay, so Girls Rock Camp is my favorite place to be, but I feel like Ladies Rock Camp is a step up from that because I don't get in trouble if I accidentally swear. In... <laughs> it's so I think funny. I might have swore there once it's or so twice. It's so hard for me not to say, y'all are so badass. <laughs> like, it's like, oh, you're bad butts. <laughs> it just doesn't have the same impact. Yeah. But, you know, the... Uh, Ladies Rock Camp is so fun because it really feels like a retreat mm-hmm. of all these people who just want to embrace their creative side and mm-hmm. do this daring thing with other people who are doing this daring thing. And again, we create this community of support and encouragement and creativity. And it's just, it's so fun. Yeah. And it's a very intimate group too, whereas Girls Rock Camp could be 40 to 50 kids. Ladies Rock Camp is usually more like 20 women and then staff. Mm-hmm. And so it's very intimate. We all get to know each other. And, um, you know, I feel like there's this difference in girls versus ladies rock camp where the girls come in and they're like, because they're young, no one's told them they have to be the expert at anything yet. But as you grow up and move on in the world, you become the head of whatever. You know, we have people come to camp who are the heads of their household or the CEO of this or the director of that. And so they come in feeling like they need to be the expert in the world. And suddenly you put an instrument in their hand they've never played before, and they're not the expert. They're the novice. And it's like, it's okay to sit in that space and to feel that discomfort and to be new. And that's a beautiful thing for your brain. I mean, before we were recording here, we were talking about neuroplasticity. Mm -hmm. uh, And there's a misconception that when you get older, you can't continue to learn. And that's bullshit. It's not true. But when we're older, we generally don't have time to noodle on our guitar for three hours in our bedroom, you know, in the middle of the day, because our lives are structured differently when we grow up. Um, But if we did, we could still learn. Our brains are still plastic. They're still able to develop. And so that's the beauty of Ladies Rock Camp is we throw all these folks into this situation where <laughs> you're you're the new person, you're the novice, but we're going to get through it together and we're going to have a blast doing yeah. it. 
Yeah. It was another uh, intentional community building experience too, because yes. I I was struggling physically um, at the time. Mm-hmm. I was trying to learn guitar with fingers that didn't work, yeah. like, like my hands yeah. were numb. And I, at one point was just like, um, Helen, do you want to play? I, I don't want to hold that. I don't want to hold the band back. Like I'm not, I'm not going to whatever. Like all I could play were the power chords. I could only hold down two strings at a time. And Shawnee said, that's what being in a band is. Go, mm-hmm. go up and just play what you can play. And yes. I was just kind of like, okay. And, and the band was lovely. They were like, just play. Who cares? We don't right, care. Right. So it was really, yeah, it was a really lovely, cause I mean, I was more than willing to hold myself back. Right. Right. Like, right. That was just, yes. Cause yeah, that's just kind of the way I was feeling at the time. And yeah. they were all like, get up here. Like you're, yep. you're in this band. So it yeah. was just lovely to be supported that way. Absolutely. And, yeah. yeah. Well, and it's interesting too. And I find it's a bit of a generational thing. Um, sometimes we have women kind of in that like 60 to 70 age range where they were told when they were a kid, well, girls don't play drums. Mm. You want to play what? No, you play piano or you sing, but like that role that you think you could fill in a band, that's not for women. And that becomes sort of a therapeutic thing for a lot of women. I think that come to Ladies Rock Camp is that they were like, what? You're being taught by a female drummer. What do you mean girls don't drum? (laughs) Of course they do, because look at Marlo, look at Jenna. Like these people are rocking out right here and teaching you how to get it done. So representation matters mm-hmm. and if you walk through the world where you look up on stages and all you see are dudes up there you internalize this message whether you know it or not that well no one that looks like me does that thing so that's not an opportunity for me mm-hmm. um and i have absolutely nothing against men in music and i you know want everybody to embrace their creative side but i also want girls and young women to see that there are people that look like them up on stages doing that thing Mm -hmm. yeah and it's still you know i think the world is evolving and there are more women represented in music but there's still just massive disparities Mm -hmm. if you you know go to a music festival any day of the week and walk around and count the number of women on stage you're going to find that women are underrepresented and if you take away the front woman of every band that you've counted a woman in and then just count the drummers and the bassists and the lead guitarists you're going to find even fewer women represented in those roles. And so to me, that's, it makes me sad because there's kids that could be the next most amazing bassist in the band, but they, they don't see that as an opportunity. And so that's the beauty of girls and ladies rock camp is like, you can come here and see that you can do this. You absolutely can do this. There are people that look like you that are doing this. Mm-hmm. So just do it. Love that. Yeah. So I, what I got out of your article your kind of George Bailey moment, yeah. the way that you are changing people's lives, like your true north, is that you're teaching people that being a performer, songwriting, you're helping and encouraging other people to find their unique voice. Yes. And you kind of see that as your life's work. Absolutely. I, I tattooed the word inspire on my forearm. Oh, look at that. <laughs> and that's my mission statement. And it's one of those things that it's on my forearm. I see it on a daily basis. And it reminds me that this is my compass. This is my north. And I want to make choices in my life that are in alignment with that mission. And there's no question that what I do at camp embodies that. It reminds me of what your mom did for you. Yeah, absolutely. That's so cool. Yeah. 
Yeah. Full spirals, it all comes back, right? <laughs> it always does. It always does. Yes, yes. Well, and you know, it's funny. I know that you use your, your spirals in a different analogy, but I talk about this in the music industry about we sink or swim together. And the women in the Madison area music community, I believe, are all spiraling upward together. Mm, nice. That feels like a really good place to stop. Yeah. Okay. I lied. There is one more thing. Where can we find your music and stuff? BethKilley.com is my website. So it's just B-E-T-H-K-I-L-L-E.com. And, um, you know, people are not buying CDs these days. So I have a few CDs left, but mostly you can just stream me on Spotify. But I'm in three different bands. Well, I guess I was in a band called Clear Blue Betty, and you can find that band on iTunes and Spotify and things like that. And then uh, I have a duo project called Kerosene Kites that's available for streaming. I have my trio with my two besties, uh, Jen Farley and Shondell Marks. We're called Gin, Chocolate, and Bottle Rockets. And then I play as Beth Killy, but I also have a Beth Killy band. So like all of those things. Such a slacker. I am a slacker. (laughs) No. Spirals is produced by Boom Arts in Appleton, Wisconsin. Theme music by Helen Avakian. Production assistance by Jeff Ryan. Please remember to subscribe and review Full Spirals on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or your favorite listening platform. Till next time, take care. Mm-hmm.